You're listening to The Interrobang Room, a podcast that challenges individuals to be passionately curious. My name is Douglas Witherup, and I'm the senior pastor to the Multiply family of churches. Join us as I sit down with industry leaders as we laugh, converse, and sometimes debate our way through how to approach life with a spirit of discovery and adventure. Thanks for joining us. This is the Interrobang Room, and I am your host, Doug Witherup. I am here with John Hernandez and Zach Witt. This is part two of our episode on synthesis. And last week, we talked about the power of sleep and how sleep fuels our creativity. And this week, we're going to be talking about play, how play can actually fuel creativity in our lives. Before we get started on all of the fun, nerdy science research that we enjoy here at the Interrobang Room, question for both of you guys. You are now eight years old. So transmit back in time. You are stepping out of your DeLorean and onto the sandlot, onto the the recess uh, area of your local school. Zach, what was one of your favorite things to do as an eight-year-old? Just play. Yeah, so at school, for us, it was either football or tag. And it was freeze tag where you had to like dive under someone's legs to unfreeze them. A lot of kids got hurt. Yeah. <laughs> but that was fun. But we I never did the what? under the legs. Always I mean, it yeah. was like That's tag. the best part. Okay. Especially for the short people because it gave us a little bit more of an even playing ground. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes, you can speed around, but you can't slide <laughs> underneath the legs as smoothly as I can. That's and fo- and football, uh, two yeah. two hand touch at at school, right? I think it was supposed to be two hand right. touch, <laughs> but two hand touch turned into a, a lot of teachers yelling at us for for tackling and a lot of holes in pants and ripped shirts and. Yep, abs- absolutely, John. Favorite favorite just. Eight-year-old, eight-year-old John Hernandez. Man, we used to do a lot of those type of games. Um, living in South Florida, we had a ton of alligator-infested canals. And what we would do is make makeshift rafts and take them down the canals. Yeah. We had a couple spots with different type of tree houses, which were really just makeshift like boxes and that type <laughs> of deal. Jump in other people's pools and stuff. Yeah, so hanging out on the canals was always one of my favorite deals. That is that is Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn esque right there with alligators. Yeah. Any fear of the alligators, or was that just like a you grew up in Florida? That's just a thing. Yeah. So it was it was a little weird because it was like I'm I'm still to this day petrified of alligators. You know, sharks too. Like I'm not a fan of it doesn't necessarily mean I was always being challenged by the guys around me. Oh, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And a part of the fun was the moment there started to be water coming into your makeshift raft, you just had to paddle as quickly as you can to uh, <laughs> the nearest exit Yeah, frantically. So It's, it's crazy. I, like I, my time in Florida, I would always watch people in these lakes because there's alligators. All you know, we, all, we all spent everywhere. some time in, in Florida. Yeah. I mean, there's gators in, in all of those lakes and people are jet skiing and water skiing in them. And it always freaked me out. But I'll go, I won't even think twice about going surfing. Yeah. And just, that's not even a, it doesn't even cross my mind. Hardly. I, I, yeah. I think some, some of that's visual too. You see an alligator, like, that's you true. don't necessarily, like sharks, ocean's huge. Alligator in the canal, you're driving up to, on the way to school and you'll see four or five of them just hanging out on the bank. You're like, oh yeah, I'm going to be in that lake later. So. 
I think for me, so if I was eight years old, I had on my Pittsburgh Pirates baseball hat, and I'm talking the old school. Um, you got Zach, you're too young to remember this, but they had one version with three stripes around it, and yeah, it's like a boss. Stripes. Yeah, you I know exactly that. what you're okay. talking about. Okay, yeah. Um, it was the worst uh, hat in it was Major the League Baseball. Best uniform ever, and um, probably one of the ugliest, but. <laughs> But uh, so so I grew up in the town of Kennerdale, Pennsylvania, population 241. And I do tell people like how I how I grew up is a is a cross between Huckleberry Finn and Kid Rock. Uh, so that was, <laughs> that was that was that's my people, man. That's that's my town. And uh, so we lived on a few acres and my dad transformed our lower field into a baseball field. And uh, we had a backstop that was that was there. And so just going out there we, just about every evening. My mom included. My mom could outthrow a base, could outthrow most guys. Uh, awesome. No lie, she she was the the hero at every church picnic, and her and <laughs> her arm, uh, and she would pitch to us. She was a righty. My dad was a lefty, so they'd pitch to us. We'd have uh, our our baseball games down there, family baseball games, just uh, all the memories. But if you think about it, and I don't know what, what that would be uh, for you, so think back to your eight-year-old self. What was your favorite thing to do? Your favorite, just go outside and play and, and uh, use your imagination there, transport yourself back in time. But I think probably most of us would also say our eight-year-old selves were a creative person. No doubt. And, and so uh, we lose, we tend to think we lose creativity when we get older and I want to dive into this. Could there be a correlation between we've lost just the art of play, of unstructured yeah. play? Yeah. So, so let me back up here. Um, that we we were talking about the power of synthesis. So, what is what is synthesis? Basically, your brain is on fire. Like it is active. It is firing on all cylinders when it's engaged in two things. Number one would be analysis. Analysis is taking things apart. The second thing would be synthesis. Synthesis is putting things together. So think of a puzzle. Uh, we're recording this during COVID-19 and we have been in uh, some form of shelter at home, some form of quarantine now for about six or seven weeks. Or are we at day 50? Something like that. We're, we're around day 50. It's been a long time. And uh, I think the first week of shelter at home, my family took out, so seven weeks ago, whatever it is, seven weeks ago, we took out a 500-piece puzzle, dumped it out. I'm like, we're going to knock this out on the first weekend. We'll be done, and things will open back up, and this will be, and we're halfway through, seven weeks later, because I got so bored so quickly. But you're putting a puzzle together. Analysis, the analysis of putting a puzzle together is step one. Turn all the pieces over so they're facing up. Group things together by category, by color, um, you're taking out the corner pieces, you're taking out the straight edges and putting those. So you're, you're analyzing, you're separating. The synthesis is now you're putting those things together. Well, what happens in our brains is we analyze things and then we tend to go into over-analysis. Over yeah. So this looks like in the middle of your COVID-19 situation, this is where you take the worst case scenario, cast yourself as the main character, hit the DVR record and replay that over and over and over again in your brain. You're in over-analysis over mode, fear, worry, anxiety. So I don't want to be in over analysis mode. So I go into distraction mode and I start scrolling through my phone and watching Netflix and doing anything that I can just to avoid going into over analysis. Well, 
distraction is not a good remedy for overanalysis. The remedy is actually synthesis. And, and what we're trying to argue here is that as a culture, as a society, we, we forgot what synthesis was. Yeah. And synthesis happens in our brains when we do three things, when we sleep, when we play, and when we reflect. When we sleep, when we play, and when we reflect. Um, we do this, we try to incorporate this even as a, as a staff. So um, we are, we're all pastors and we're part of the Multiply family of churches. And every year uh, we take our team on something called a play and pray retreat. Stole the idea straight up from Mark Batterson. Thank you, Dr. Batterson for that. Um, but Zach, talk a little bit about that, just how even as a team we try to model uh, creativity by by playing together as a as not just eight year olds but Absolutely. 20 30 40 50 year olds <laughs> yeah I think uh, when we go to those uh, play and play retreats you, you mentioned this word uh, a little bit earlier uh, which you've written about in your book brave parents and courageous kids but unstructured play yeah and so we we will take anything and everything with us we take spike ball sets we take wiffle ball sets we take a football we know we're going to be out in the woods but it's unstructured in the sense of we show up and we say, hey, in an hour, we're going to meet at the top field and we're playing wiffle ball. Absolutely. And it's just like being in the backyard and it's schoolyard pick them. It's you're on my team. <laughs> you're on their team. And, with, then- <laughs> and when you say schoolyard, you mean with all the pros and cons that that brings. Oh, there's always someone that's the last pick. And then that's We've walked off fields before. Oh, listen. Um, and thus the prey. Because then we have to ask for forgiveness. Pauls, some then, of us have walked off fields before. And then we're, and then we're best friends again <laughs> yeah. by dinner. But it, but it is that unstructured play. It is. But it's everything that it encompasses. It's, it's the pros, it's the cons, it's the challenges, um, it's the creativity even in the game. No, that's not out of bounds. This is out of <laughs> that, that twig on the left is out of bounds. <laughs> right. You know, that rock, is, that rock is inbounds. That's a home run. That's not a home run. And, and so when we go out, uh, again, it's 20, 30, 40, 50 year olds we're just running around on a field having fun. And, and when we walk off, we have those rosy cheeks, those yeah. rosy cheeks, right? Yeah. And uh, Some and of them is from the play. Some of them is from the arguments that we have <laughs> about where third base was. Third base shouldn't be there. Yeah. Why is third base yeah. there? That doesn't even make sense. Yeah. He hit the ball. It didn't pass second base. That's an automatic out. What's going on? So, but, but that is, I mean... We, we're, we're a bit competitive, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. just dis- disclaimer. Yeah, yeah. but... And then we make up games. I mean, you know, we had we had that aerosol fight <laughs> a couple of years ago, and, and that was just a, a fun time because it was just made up on the spot. And and that's that's the fun behind it is that it is unstructured. Yeah. The the fun behind it is that we get to be authentically our kid self again. Yeah. Uh, and don't have to worry about the title we carry or what email we have or haven't answered. Uh, but in those retreats and out of those retreats, that unstructured play shapes our creativity for the rest of the weekend. Absolutely. And, and it, sh- it shapes relationships. It, it, it shapes creativity. Um, I, I remember several years ago, as well, actually, as I was writing this book, I was, I was writing the, the Brave Parents and Courageous Kids book, I was scheduled to speak at a retreat in um, 
Askeville, North Carolina. Ever heard of it? <laughs> Askeville. <laughs> Come on, Philip, our producer, is shaking his head. And if Philip has not heard of Askeville, so Askeville, kind of like Kennerdale, not the largest population. So there wasn't a ton to do there. And, and so I was kind of holed up in this apartment for the week and I thought, man, I'm going to knock this book out. I'm going to get all kinds of stuff done. So I had my box of books and print offs and computer and I spread everything out over the, the whole living room, the whole kitchen there. I just overtook the place. I, was, I spoke one service at night and maybe I grabbed lunch with somebody during the day. And other than that, like that was it. And I'm telling you, it was like, drudgery. I was trudging through. It was like every word was work. Every paragraph was work. Saturday, I was I was off. I was done speaking at that retreat and I was supposed to speak in Greenville, North Carolina on a Sunday. So Saturday was, was off. So I got in my uh, Chevy four-wheel drive with 300,000 miles on it. <laughs> surfboard was in the back, drove out to the Outer Banks, took my surfboard, threw it in the ocean and guys, I'm telling you, within 30 minutes, yeah. all, everything from the week, it's like it started firing in my brain. I paddled back in, opened my truck. I'm dripping salt water on my computer, but I'm just typing, typing, typing. All, all of these ideas coming, mm -hmm. and it took 30 minutes of, of me in the ocean playing before the the connections started firing. And and John, there's, like, there's reasons for that. You talked about... Um, uh, Thomas Edison in last week's episode, but uh, Thomas Edison was, am I getting yeah, that? No, yeah, you're right. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was getting, I was, I misread that look. Was, no, no, sorry. Was like <laughs> Thomas Edison isn't even a person. No, he's, <laughs> he's alive. He's, Wait, he's, no, he's not. He's dead. He was a person. So. <laughs> I probably need more caffeine. That's, that's. But you talked about, you gave a, a fascinating example of him last week. But I, I've, I've read where Thomas Edison was famous about uh, taking violin breaks. Yeah. And he would just play the violin for 30 minutes. And that's where all of his ideas would would start to fire. Like, what what is it about playing creativity that, that uh, synergizes our brain like that? I think it allows us to, um, to, to navigate in, in a place where it's low risk and we get to experiment and play. And, and I, I think that speaks so much to our heart, specifically in our current culture where every decision has such gravity and every thought has such consequence. Being able to turn that off for a moment and just throw paint on a canvas or, again, throw a vibe. And it doesn't even matter the proficiency because at the end of the day, there's not a risk. There's, you know, people... Uh, get upset at me. This is I've been doing this since high school. I can spend four hours just drawing one piece, whether it's doodling in a scrapbook or now on my iPad. And then when I'm done, I'm done. Yeah. It's not to show anybody. I don't need to put it on Instagram. I, you know, I, there's been times where my wife will get mad because she'll sit there and watch. And when I'm done, I, I'll throw the piece of paper away. But it was that expression, that moment didn't mm. cost nothing. I wasn't risking anything. And yet my brain was able to act. I think that just starts activating those juices and allows you to think a little clearer. Absolutely. So this idea of like, oh, if I'm, if I'm playing, I'm, I'm goofing off or I'm wasting time or I'm not being productive. Work and play aren't opposites. Like no. when, does, when does work become play? That is a great question um, and, and one that I personally struggle with because to be quite honest, like I love what I do. Yeah. 
So there are moments where I think if I didn't love where I what I've done, I think I would have burned out a long, long time ago. But I actually I'm I'm kind of fed off that thing. So I've had to ask my question, the question of myself, what feeds me? What 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 is it that I walk away from and feel energized because of? And I think to me that's where work and play have a tendency of of just meeting in the middle there, where the the stuff I put my hand to do. Again, there's times where it that has grave consequences and you know I take it really serious, but I'm still enjoying. Like I walk away refueled and energized. Yeah. It's like you said, it's that when you write that chapter of a book, and not that I've ever written a book, but even with a message, like you write that message and you you feel like you got it all out and you can walk away and write another message or focus on something else because it fed you, like it yeah. gives you that energy. Yeah. And I think that that's where that line kind of blurs a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I can't imagine, back to our eight-year-old selves, mm -hmm. I can't imagine a day without recess. Yeah. Like when you are when you were in third yeah. grade, um, I don't know if you guys ever lost recess, but- That was our detention. Yeah. Like that was punishment. We got our names written on the board and then we got a check mark. And mm -hmm. I think a check mark was like, you lost five minutes of recess, two check marks was, I can't remember. I was a pretty good elementary school kid, so I don't remember. I started that with a check. A <laughs> I just walked in. And she was like, "John, you got to check." <laughs> what did I do? But um, like, who took away recess? Yeah. You. I. So now, when I walk walk through the grocery store and I look at a thing of Cool Whip, I can like one of the things is for me. I can buy that if I want. I can eat it all. I'm a grown. I can make my own decisions. <laughs> if I want to eat it, the whole thing of Cool Whip, I can. Listen to all to all of our listeners. You're grown up. You can take 30 minutes That's of recess right. every yeah. single day. So, like, I would ask you, when, what is your recess? What's your mm -hmm. just uh, the thing? Not the not veg, vegging out on the couch doesn't count because um, I like to do that too. But that's not recess. That's not play. Zach, you talked about this earlier. You used the word unstructured play. Yeah unstructured play. What do you mean by that? What's the difference between unstructured play versus versus something that's more structured and and how does how does that unstructured really play into this idea of creativity? Yeah, and and again, I'll, I'll go back to something that you've written in your book Brave Parents uh, Courageous Kids. The idea of unstructured play is that that there are no rules. What we have done as a society, and again, you've written about this, there's, there's numerous studies on this, is we have substituted play for practice. Mm. And so we've said, oh, my kid is involved in fill in the blank. My, my kid's involved in gymnastics. My kid's involved in a, a basketball league, opposed to the, the rim that's in the yard that's half crooked yeah. and they're just playing with the, the kids uh, from the neighborhood. Uh, so the idea of unstructured play is that we have no rhyme or reason, that there's no game or outcome, there's no championship opposed to uh, me doing a, a fadeaway yelling Kobe. Like th that's yeah. the unstructured yeah. part. Uh, Dr. Danae Lund uh, published an article called The Top Five Benefits of, of Children Playing Outside. And, and there, the, the five benefits were, were great. And I kind of started reading some of the parents' responses. And, and one of the parents wrote this, uh, she said, I read on average that American children spend only four to seven minutes a day in unstructured outdoor play. Wait, four to seven four minutes to seven a day? Minutes. Minutes That's a crazy. day of unstructured they must have got outdoor play. Marks. They, got, they got their recess <laughs> taken, right. taken away. 
but th- this was something else he said that uh, compared to seven or more hours in front of a screen. Wow. So not necessarily just watching TV, but a computer screen, sure. a phone, a, a television, whatever yeah. the case may be. And, but the parent, this is what threw me off. So I could vibe with the parent up until that point. Yeah. And then they wrote this. I seriously do not want this for my kids. Great. I don't want that for my kid either. And then they wrote this. I play golf and involve my child in this uh, too so that they have indoor and outdoor play. I even have an indoor putting green as well as where me and my child practice the shots outside. I want him to proactively ask me for playing the game outside. The problem is that sounded like practice. Yeah. I want them to practice the shots. Right. I want them to line up 50 golf balls and, and putt for an hour. That's not unstructured. So what we've done as a society is we've justified practice as play. And that's where I think we really miss it. Um, you wrote this in, in your book. It was a study by uh, Stuart Brown, it, the author of Play, How It Shapes uh, the Brain, Opens the Imagination, and Invigorates the Soul. And, and three things that he wrote about was plasticity, adaptability, adaptability, and creativity. Yeah. Unstructured play is being creative. Yeah. It's being able to adapt to any situation. And, uh, and I think that's where we as a society have, have misguided unstructured play. And, and we, we remember that. All, all of us grew up with unstructured play. So the pickup football game, um, was there more arguing than there should have been? Probably. Uh, but you figured it out. You didn't have referees. You didn't have parents telling you how to pick, pick sides. You didn't have a coach telling you all of this. You figured it out. You had to be creative. You had to develop relational skills. You had, it forced, it forced us as kids um, into that. And, and so we're, we're living in a world, I, I agree, where uh, play has become a league so uh, there's a league for that, or there's, a, um, there's an organized ac- activity for that, and we're losing this idea of just unstructured play. John, as, as adults, how do we play in a world where uh, there's no one to play with? Like people are, are behind a screen, or they're busy. Like how do we, how do, we do that? I think, I think it goes back um, to where we are culturally. So if you, if you for a moment, I want to go back to parenting and then move into how it's affected us, right? So we have seen fear step into parenting like never before. For our generation, um, you know, growing up in the early 80s, 90s, um, there wasn't as much fear. Like my mom was mm. very quick to say when I got home, did you do your homework? Yes, all right, I'll see you when the lights turn on. And it was go outside. Yeah. Somewhere in the, the, 19, the late 1990s, maybe even a little bit earlier than that, um, a lot of people try to kind of tie that into the bombings of Oklahoma City. Some of these national tragedies, you see fear step into parenting and then free play and free time uh, for kids became like a dirty word because you didn't know where your kid was. I remember PSA saying, it's 10 o'clock, where's your kid? And this fear that stepped in us as a culture, and what it did was it almost demonized free time. Right. Right, like, so if you have too much free time, not only are you not a committed parent, you, you know, your kid needs to have everything structured, but then as you move to adulthood, it was if you have too much free time, you're lazy. 
Yeah. Right? If you have too much free time, apparently you're not doing something that you're supposed to do. So as adults, we still navigate in that fear. That fear that if I'm not hustling in all this fear time, someone else is going to take my spot. Mm. That constant treadmill mentality that first we put our kids on, but in some degree, we put ourselves on. And is that uh, um, one of the things about neuroscience that we know is that when fear steps into the system, all risk taking is taken off. Like the first thing you lose is risk taking. And in free time, there, there's that, that risk back to the alligator context, right, right. that you talked about. Right. Fear was a part of that. What are you doing that scares you? Like, and yeah. that's, that's got to be a part of the, the conversation for adults. I think adults need permission to play. I remember yeah. when I was in at a, a board meeting in Lakeland, Florida, and I had some situations going on uh, years ago that uh, were were work situations, and I, you know, there was just problem solving stuff, typical leadership stuff. But I remember being a little bit stressed out, and Anna, my daughter, she was probably about three years old at the time, and she called me. And she left me a voicemail message and it just said, Daddy, I hope, you know, I miss you. And she said, uh, I hope, I hope you eat ice cream <laughs> and I hope you go swimming. And then she said, I hope you take a shower, which is a normal part of my life. I don't know why she had to tell me to take a shower, but it was, it was silly, really. But I remember on uh, coming up on Cumbie Boulevard in, in Lakeland and just the, the permission from a three-year-old, I'm like, I I am going to eat ice cream yeah. and I am going to go swimming yeah. and I'm going to absolutely enjoy it. But like we need permission to play. And, and if any, if that's the takeaway from this episode, that's what I want you to get is that play is good for you. So we're talking about the power of synthesis, how play fuels your creativity. You will be more, more creative than you've ever been because synthesis happens in our brains when we sleep, when we play, and when we reflect. There was one elementary school, um, so they tripled, they tripled the amount of recess. Okay, so uh, Eagle Mountain Elementary School tripled their recess from 20 minutes to an hour. And when they did this, teachers, as you can understand, they'd be nervous because they've got criteria from the state. They yeah. gotta get through a certain amount of lessons and hit test scores and all of that, which is fine. But um, what they what they found is that they tripled the research, uh, tripled when they tripled recess, the test scores were higher. Yeah. Uh, so, so teachers at Eagle Mountain say they've seen a huge transformation in their students. They say kids are less distracted, they make more eye contact, and they tattle less. <laughs> and every parent said a good amen, amen. to that. And, and there's a, an Ohio State re researcher by the name of Bob Murray. He's got lots of data uh, to back this up. And, and he says this, kids with regular recess behave better, are physically healthier, and exhibit stronger social and emotional development. Parents, I want you to hear that for like for your kids, especially during COVID, um, where you are stru structured to death. You know, I've got to get through these homeschool lessons. I've got to, uh, I've got to do all this, and you feel more and more pressure to be to to develop your child. One of the greatest things that you can just tell them is is figure it out. Like go to your it's raining outside, go to your room and play. No it's sunny doubt. outside, go outside and play. Let's go outside, go outside and play. Play what? I don't know. We're not allowed to, our kids are not allowed to, if they say I'm bored, 
they're going to see me flip out. Like that is not allowed. There is no such thing as boredom. There is only boring people. Like figure out something yeah. to do. Get creative. Make and up they a game. Will. Make up a game. Yeah. Absolutely. I, 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 my wife reminds us all the time in our house, like it, my parents, it wasn't their responsibility to keep us active. Right. It was our responsibility. It, it was our imagination. My mo- I don't remember my mom ever even even suggesting what I did. It was just, I'll see just you go. when the lights go on. Yeah. You know? And I, I think we've taken that away. Absolutely. So again, parent, I hope this is so freeing to you. You don't need to have every moment of the day structured. You don't need to have a craft set out. You don't need to have a league for your kid to be involved in. You don't need, like, just let them play. And it's actually great for them. It's fantastic for them. And then again, I want to remind us as adults, we need this too. So if kids with regular recess behave better, are physically healthier, and exhibit stronger social and emotional development than than us too, we would probably behave, we would probably all behave better if we played more kickball. We would probably all be physically healthier if we just, um, uh, got outside and, and took a walk around the neighborhood. We'd probably all be stronger emotionally and and socially if we took some recess. So uh, I want to. I just want to conclude by blessing you to play and to get outside and to do something fun today. And I pray that and hope that that will become a pattern in your life. Again, this is Doug Witherup. I'm with John Hernandez, Zach Witt. This is the Interabang Room, and we've been talking about the power of synthesis. How play fuels creativity. Your brain is made not just to analyze things, taking things apart, but it's made to synthesize them, to put them back together. And so um, what we've been doing is we've been overanalyzing that puzzle and you're, you've been staring at that thing for so long and you can't come up with a solution and you're trying to figure out how to lead your company from behind a camera in a Zoom meeting and you're trying to figure out this homeschooling thing, just go outside and play. I dare you to take that 30-minute violin break, throw a surfboard in the back of your uh, vehicle or do whatever, whatever it is that, that fuels you. Um, Uh, that you're allowed to do during this time of social distancing and we're opening back up and thankful for that. But go outside and play. Have some recess today. Thanks again for joining us on the Interabang Room.